0: Hear ye, hear ye, brothers and sisters, old and young, weak and strong, encouraged and discouraged, hear the word that the Lord has brought to you today. I come before you today as a messenger to tell you a great and wonderful truth, to bring you good news of great joy That is for all the people. I've come to tell you how God became the king and why it matters. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, he formed a man from the dust of the ground and placed him in the world to be king over the earth. He gave him responsibility, a commission to be fruitful and multiply, to take dominion of the world to name the creatures, to be the representative of God on the earth. And like many kings who will come after this king, he disobeyed the word of the Lord, and the kingdom was taken from his hand and promised to a better Adam. An Adam that would come and fulfill the mission of God in the world. An Adam that would do all that the first Adam failed to do. The seeds of the monarchy were planted in the world in the beginning. And they began to grow and take root. And generation after generation, the people of God were looking for the king that God promised to send. The better Adam who would come and fulfill the mission of God in the world. And Generation after generation, the hope would be dashed once again as man after man, king after king would fall. Our forefather Jacob gathered all of his sons together, and he wanted to bless each one according to his vision for their life, the purpose of God for them, and according to what they were capable of accomplishing. And to one of his sons, Jacob said, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. In other words, when the king comes, he will rule over all peoples. He will rule over Israel and the nations. He will rule over Jews and Gentiles, over them and over us. But he will come from Judah. Judah. We move forward in the story and see that even the law of Moses anticipated, contemplated the coming of a king of the Jews. When you come to the land that the Lord your God has given you, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law. And it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law. And these statutes, and by doing them, so that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel." And as the seed and the roots and the plant of this idea of the monarchy continue to grow, God reminds his people that the king of the Jews is expected to live humbly by the law of God, to lead his people to do the same. In other words, God expects this king to be a man after God's own heart. We move forward in the story just a little bit and we see that things unravel, things fall apart. In the time of the judges, the whole nation falls into a downward spiral that repeats itself over and over again. We hear this refrain, In those days there was no king in Israel. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. They were not doing what was right according to God's law, but according to their own preferences, their own tastes, their own passions and pleasures. Just like their mother Eve at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Whatever felt good was good. Whatever looked right must have been right. And there was no king in Israel. This apostasy led to cycles of judgments. And judges came from God. Law and order were established. Saviors grew up among the people and protected them. But then grew old and died. And when they died, the cycle would repeat itself again. Why? Because still there was no king in Israel. The people were not thinking in terms of monarchy. They were thinking in terms of democracy. Rule of the people. Well, everyone gets to have it their way. But there was no king in Israel. You move forward a bit in the story and you meet a devout, a devout woman named Hannah. A daughter of Eve. Eve. Who lived at the end of the time of the judges, who was not able to have children. So she cried out to the Lord day and night that God would open her womb. And she praised God when he finally opened her womb and gave her a son, whom she named Samuel. And then she loaned him back to the Lord that he might serve the Lord all the days of his life. It was in her prayer, thanking God and praising God for the gift of this son, that she prayed for the future king of the Jews. The king who was not yet on the scene. Because there was still no king in Israel. And she prayed in this way. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king. And exalt the horn of his anointed. All of this taking place. When there is still no king in Israel. But Hannah prays like a prophetess. Looking forward to the king. Which the Lord God will set over his people. Now. The Lord God was king over Israel, king over his people. But that was not good enough for the people. God kept speaking to them through prophets and through priests. He kept reigning through those servants and messengers of God. But that was not enough for the people. And quite frankly, it was not enough for the Lord. Because what God has told us from the beginning is that he intends for there to be a king on the earth. A king over his people. A king in the world. Not a king made in the image and likeness of man. But a king made in the image and likeness of God. When the people come and demand a king, it's, they don't want a king like God. They want a king like the nations have kings. They want to be like the nations. They want to blur the line of distinction between themselves and the nations. They want a king besides God. So when Samuel was older and the people refused to obey his voice they say give us a king to rule over us give us a king that will help us be like all the nations a king that will judge us a king that will go out for us a king that will fight our battles give us a king besides God And so the Lord gave them a king in the image and likeness of Israel a king they deserved But not a king they needed. A king they deserved because of their disobedience and their rebellion. A king they deserved because of their sin and unrighteousness, but not a king they needed. That's not the one they wanted. Saul was not a man after God's own heart, rather, he was a man after man's heart. The Apostle Paul summarizes this whole part of the story for us when he was invited to give a word of encouragement to a synagogue in Pisidian Antioch on his first missionary journey. And he got up and spoke these things when he said, The God of the people Israel chose our fathers and gave them the land of Canaan as an inheritance. After that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet And then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. For an entire generation, they had this king made in the image and likeness of man. And finally, when God could stand it no more, he removes this king and raises up David to be their king, of whom he testified, I have found David, the son of Jesse, A man after my own heart who will do all my will. So when David became king, God gave him victories and successes over his enemies. And that brings us to our story today. That when David was an old man and fighting days were over, he wants to do something for the Lord. He wants to leave behind a legacy that involves more than warfare and bloodshed. He wants to leave something behind, a kind of memorial to the Lord. He says, let me build you a house. Let me build you a temple. Let me move you out of that tent of cloth and sticks and move you into a house of cedar and stones. Let me help you get a permanent dwelling place that you deserve among your people. And so he makes this offer to the Lord out of a... Good intentions out of a heart that desires to do well. And the Lord hears this request. Hears David's offer and then comes back and says, in essence, thanks but no thanks. I appreciate what you're trying to do, David. But I don't need a house. I'm going to do something for you instead. And you see in the story something of the character of God that no matter what we try to do for the Lord, no matter how well-intentioned or how good it might be, it is never enough for him because he doesn't need it. He doesn't require it. What he does for us is he gives more grace. You want to give God a gift. And God says, I don't need your gift, but let me give you a gift instead. This is what he says to David. You can't build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. Not a vacation house. Not a new palace. But a house that will last forever. A house that comes in the form of your family line. That comes in the form of royal kings. That comes in the form of establishing your throne and your kingdom forever. David I'm going to build you a house by my power and my glory. And it's going to be for the life of the world. I'm going to establish your kingdom and on your throne, on this throne, a seed from your body will always sit forever and ever. Your kingdom will never fail. And so God makes a covenant with David, and this is what he says. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your seed after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him. He will be a son to me. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. These promises must have sounded impossible to David at the time. They must have sounded impossible to anyone who had heard these promises. How can the throne and the kingdom of any man endure forever? But the wisest of the wise knew that these promises were ancient. And they were just as ancient as they were future appearing in the present. You see, the promise... Seed does not refer to Jedediah and Solomon or any of the other kings that come immediately after David through that line. This seed that is promised will come from David. But this seed that is promised is the seed that was promised in the Garden of Eden when God spoke to the woman and said, Through your seed will come one who will crush the serpent's head. Brothers and sisters, this is the seed we've been looking for in this whole series. It's the seed we've been tracking from day one. We want to see the one that God will raise up, that will crush the serpent and put an end to his works, to get rid of our fear of death, to set us free from the bondage of our guilt and shame. When this seed comes... The throne of his kingdom will be established by his father forever and ever. It was, Ezra the Ez- it was Ethan the Ezra who told this story of the covenant in one of the Psalms. It's an epic poem where he describes God's covenant with the seed of David in this way. And he says, You have said... I made a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him. And in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea, his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, my rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever. And my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if his children violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then... I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I've sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David." His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the skies. This epic poem tells us about God's promise to rule the world and about God's power to back up his promise to rule the world. And we see that on one hand, God promises that David's seed shall sit on his throne forever. But on the other hand, we see that David's seed will fail. Those related to the seed will stumble, commit iniquity. And their sin must be dealt with. And so, what will happen? God said, I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But notice that he does not inflict that punishment on you, on his people. It's inflicted upon the king. When the king comes, he will bear our grief and our sorrow. When the king comes, he will be pierced for our transgression, crushed for our iniquities, He will bear the chastisement that will bring us peace. And with his wounds we shall be healed. This king comes to heal through his own wounds. This king comes to give life through his death. This king comes to rule by serving. So after David, many kings will come. And Many will do evil in the eyes of the Lord. Some few will do what's right in the eyes of the Lord as their father David had done. But through it all, God will draw straight lines with crooked sticks. God will keep his promise. His steadfast love for his son will never, ever fail. And he will continue working out the story of his promise in the world. He'll continue working out the story of his promise even when things look their worst. As things continue to unravel and fall apart and in the midst of all the chaos and the apostasy, despite all appearances to the contrary, God will remind his people again and again that he will keep his promise, that his promise has not failed. His promise will be fulfilled. His promise can never fail. And so he speaks to his people through the prophets to remind them of these things. And it's into that darkness and chaos of the world that Isaiah the prophet comes. And he speaks and says, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. How in the world can this even be accomplished? How in the world can God do these things? We see the world around us in chaos, unraveling, falling apart. And it seems as if God's promise might have failed. But how will the Lord accomplish this? And the prophets tell us that it is the zeal of the Lord of hosts that will do this. You move forward a few hundred years in the story and you see this fulfilled. Wise men come from the east because they've seen a star in the skies. A witness of the promise of God. And they know the promise is being kept. The promise is being fulfilled. So they come to the city of David. Searching for the king. Telling everyone. We're looking for the newborn king of the Jews. We've come to worship him. Everyone's alarmed and disturbed. We want to find out not only how they know where the king is. But what do the prophets of God say? And everyone searches the scriptures deliberately, diligently, with great care to find out what the scriptures have to say. And they learn that it is written by the prophet. As for you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, who are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When the time was right, this baby became a man. He began to call the people of God to himself. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's confronted by the devil. Not in the the garden, but in a wilderness. And the devil treats him as he treated his father, Adam, all those years ago. Tempting him, trying to give him a shortcut, leading him to hit the easy button. You don't have to go through all this hard stuff if you are the son of God. If you are the king, simply take the easy route. Serve me, I'll give you all the nations of the world. But unlike the first Adam, this Adam resists and refuses the devil's lies. He wins the first battle. And he embarks upon a mission to call the people of God to himself, to submit to his rule, to submit to his throne of grace, to come and find help in their time of need. But as the story unfolds, we see that he's hated and he's hunted by the serpent and by his seed all the days of his life. And in the end, his own people, his own flesh and blood, Abandon him and hand him over to strangers to be judged and scented and executed. The Gospels tell us that this king was condemned to death. Crowned with thorns, clothed in scarlet, crucified with thieves. And crushed under a sign that read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And with that criticism echoing, Across the countryside, men scoffed and scorned God who became king among them. The Apostle Paul continues his sermon in Pisidian Antioch with these words. He ties together the threads of this story and testifies that from David's seed, God brought a savior to Israel as he promised. His name is Jesus. We bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus up from the dead. As it's also written in the Psalms of David. You are my son, today I've become your father. And as for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he spoke this way in other Psalms. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. You will not let your Holy One see decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. He was laid to rest with his fathers and he turned into dust. But the one that God raised up from the dead did not see corruption. In other words, the king lives. Long live the king! Long live the king! Long live the king! Jesus Christ, our Lord, who descended from David according to the flesh, was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Holy Spirit by His resurrection from the dead. The King lives. Long live the King. Forty days after Jesus' resurrection from the dead, He ascended into heaven. In the very way that the prophets saw that he would in fulfillment of a vision of Daniel the prophet who said, I saw in the night visions, behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and a kingdom and glory that all the peoples and nations and languages of the earth should serve him. His dominion, dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So if brothers and sisters, friends, and all who are here today. Let me say to you that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He sits at the right hand of God the Father. And from there He will come to judge the living and the dead For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of a trumpet. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And just as women poured out of the cities to celebrate the victories of the ancient kings with their singing and dancing, so shall we, the bride of Christ, rise up from our cities and come out of our graves to go up to meet the king with praise and worship, to welcome him back in celebration, even as he leads us home in triumphal procession. And so we shall be with the Lord forever. And it's then and it's only then that the end comes. When Jesus delivers the kingdom of God to the Father. After destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy. The last enemy to be destroyed Is death. That enemy that has held you in fear, robbed you of joy, haunted your dreams, that enemy will be destroyed. For as death came by one man, so by one man has come life in the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming all those who belong to Christ. All those who have rested in Jesus All those who have waited and longed for his coming. They will be raised. O death. O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord? In life and in death, in darkness and in light, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us and gave Himself up for us. My brothers and sisters, we are strangers in this world. We are exiles in a faraway land. We're not yet where we ought to be, where our citizenship is in heaven. And we await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body. That he has the power to do these things because he is able to subject all things, including death and decay, to his power. God has highly exalted the king and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now to the King of glory, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever Mm -hmm. and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this is how God became the King. And this is why it matters. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, let us pray.